whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything that is excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And I don't know about you, but I often find myself thinking about everything other than those things. But really quick, before we jump in, growing up, I always loved the story of Peter Pan. I don't know if any Peter Pan fans in here. I love the idea that there was this place beyond this realm, a place where I could remain a kid. Right? There were even directions on how to get there. Second star to the right and straight on till morning, which is such a great line, right? Like, that's so cool. But I think the best part about Neverland, at least when I was a kid, was the fact that with a little bit of pixie dust and a happy thought, you could fly. Like, how incredible is that? If you're a kid, being able to fly sounds like such a wonderful thing. And, and when I was 9 or 10 years old, the movie Hook came out. Has anyone seen the movie Hook? I mean, that's one of the best movies of the 90s, hands down. Um, if you aren't familiar, the story focuses in on a Peter Pan who left Neverland. He grew up and he started a family. And one night, while visiting London, his children are kidnapped by Captain Hook. So fast forward a bit, Tinkerbell comes and brings Peter back to Neverland to rescue his kids. But, but there's one problem. Peter doesn't remember anything. And he certainly doesn't remember how to fly. And one of my favorite parts of the movie is when Peter finally remembers. And part of what made Peter forget, at least in my opinion, was not simply that he left Neverland, but that his gaze shifted from the beauty and wonder of this other world to the chaos and busyness of his own life, these earthly things to spiritualize Peter Pan. And that's the thing about our mind and our lives. They are either being intentionally formed or unintentionally formed, but either way, they are being formed. The thing that finally helps him remember both Neverland and How to Fly is not some random happy thought about ice cream or Christmas presents, but the very reason he decided to leave in the first place, to experience the love of having a child. And so let's jump into Philippians here. It's a letter written to both encourage and challenge this local church that is having trouble. They need to remember who they are, where their allegiances lie, and the joy and peace of their salvation. They need to fight against their fears and anxieties, which are stirred up by the things of this world, something every single person in this room has experienced. By fixing their eyes on the king and kingdom that is not of this world, and so the lens, the lens through which they and through which we must view God's creation, even in its fallen and chaotic state, and it is fallen and chaotic. I mean, Seski just prayed about a shooting taking place in Buffalo of 10 people who were killed. People say it might have been racially motivated. And again, like we're, we're, we're a world that's just believing the wrong stories. Whether it's racial injustice, whether it's this conversation about Roe v. Wade that's happening in the news right now, all of us are just believing the wrong story. And what God is putting forth for us is a story that is to reorient our lives toward the kingdom of heaven, to reorient our lives toward Jesus, the one who is true, who, who, who embodies everything that's in this list, but I'm getting ahead of myself. What God promises for us as we allow him to reorient and renew our minds is that he and his peace will be with us. That's important. It's not just a peace that we experience, but we experience a person. We experience a person. 
massively important. But let's, let's jump in this morning. Our text this morning is structured around two commands, to think and to do. And the result of obeying these commands is that God will be with us. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means in a bit. But before we get there, I want to remind us that while there is an explicit promise attached to these two commands, there's also an implicit consequence for those who choose to ignore these two commands, both individually and corporately as the body of Christ. Another part of this passage that's important for us to grasp, and this touches on that corporate piece, and it's something we've been talking about throughout the entire series, is that once again, these commands are given to the entire church as a whole. That second person plural is once again employed in the letter that Paul is writing. But in the same breath, if something is true of the individual within the body, then so too will it be true for the church at large. So let's take a look. He says, right right off the jump, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, and I say brothers and sisters because when Paul uses that language of brothers, he's talking to the entire church. He's not just talking to the men in the church. That's That's a corporate sort of command that he's giving, a corporate word that he's using. So first thing, while Paul is drawing to a close at this point in the letter, we're, we're finishing up. We only have a couple more weeks of this series. That's not what this particular finally is referring to. Rather, Paul is giving the last two commands in a series of commands that began back in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm. Thus in the Lord. Stand firm in this way in the Lord. And then he provides for us the means by which we are to stand firm. He says, rejoice in the Lord. He, he commands us to be marked by gentleness and kindness. He commands us to not be anxious, and he teaches how to not be anxious by praying and presenting our petitions to God. Long story short, Paul is providing a path of wisdom that promises the presence of God. He's providing a path of wisdom that promises the presence of God. And and that presence of God is always accompanied by peace, even during difficulty and pain. See, that's what Paul's doing here. He's giving us some overwhelmingly practical wisdom as to how we can live our lives as citizens of heaven living on foreign soil. I'm reminded of another passage in Philippians, um, in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read this passage. We're not there yet, so never mind. Five chapters, um, chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. If you're in your Bible, just flip back like two pages. It says this. Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. Do not be foolish. Um, I lost my spot. I'm sorry. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Then he does something fascinating here. There's a list of participles. He says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody um, to the Lord in your heart. Giving thanks and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so so what Paul is doing in this particular passage is very similar to the passage we're looking at. He's saying, be filled with the Spirit. And then he gives us a path of wisdom as to how to be filled with the Spirit. He says, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, when we worship God together, 
He's filling us with his spirit. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we live lives of gratitude and thanksgiving, God is filling us with his spirit. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, living lives of humility and sacrificial love for the glory of God and the good of one another is one of the means by which God is filling us with his spirit. See, Paul is calling us to live a life of intentionality because he knows how spiritual formation works, how our minds work, how humanity works. He also knows how easy it is to allow earthly things to distract us and cause us to forget. Remember the story of Peter Pan. What's so fascinating about that movie, to go back, I'm going to travel with this movie throughout the, the, the sermon just to kind of get everyone ready for that. What's fascinating about the movie Hook is that while Peter had forgotten Neverland, Wendy, who spent way less time there, she never forgot. Why? Because if you remember the movie, she filled her home with reminders of this other realm. She brought Neverland with her back to London, and she reflected on it regularly. There's a sermon in there, isn't it? Are we taking the things of heaven, the beauty of the goodness of the kingdom of God, things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, are we taking those things which are heavenly things and are we bringing them into our own lives here as we make our way through this life? That's what this sermon is about. That's what this text is about. Remember, this whole book is about what it means to be a citizen of heaven, what it means to orient our lives around the person and work of Jesus, that Philippians 2 picture of the Christ who, because he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to wrap our entire existence individually and corporately around that pattern, which is what it means to be a citizen of heaven. And so let's take a look at this list. The first four carry a more religious and particularly Jewish tone to them, while the latter two are lifted right from their surrounding context. They're more Greco-Roman, if you will. Whatever's true. In other words, whatever is reliable and sure. One commentator says, whatever conforms to the gospel, to the story of Jesus, the scriptures, the person and work of Christ. I'm reminded of the rhythm and structure of creation. The sun always rises. The cycles of the moon are sure. There is a true and reliable rhythm of the seasons and even of the human body. For some of you, I think of Scott Stangley, it might be the structure and surety of algebra. <laughs> the attributes of God the things that we can fully rely on and trust ourselves to. Paul says to think about those things. But when he uses that word think, he doesn't mean just like some passing idea, some, some, some passing thought that kind of flows through your mind. We all have those, right? We have passing thoughts all day long. No, what Paul says, the word is legitsomai, which is a fun word to say. It means to reckon, to, to count over, to deliberate, to give careful and methodical thought to to mull over regularly. He says those, that's how you need to approach whatever is true. 
to regularly consider it, to give careful attention to and reflect upon these things, to view them through the lens of a God who has structured the world in a true and reliable pattern. He then says, whatever is honorable, or another way of looking at that, worthy of respect, certain people come to mind, traditions that have stood the test of time, institutions, those who have served sacrificially, whether it's in the military or, or law enforcement. I even thought of the power of the ocean, like something that is worthy of respect, something that we look at and we're like, that warrants honor. That warrants respect. Give careful attention to these sorts of things. Meditate on these things so that your mind is drawn toward things that are good rather than things that are shameful as we were warned against just a few weeks ago, right? Those who glory in their shame. We're to be different, right? We're citizens of heaven. There's something different about us as followers of Jesus. He goes on. Whatever is just, whatever is righteous, I want to read to you from Psalm chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there with me. The psalmist says in Psalm chapter 1, Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it, he meditates day and night. He continues in this. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons and, and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Why? Because the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In this particular psalm, he says, he says the, the righteous man delights in the law of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. It's where he draws his strength from. It's where he orients his thinking regularly. Whatever is just, whatever is righteous, that's where we need to put our entire attention on regularly. Well, that's hard though, right? Because we're surrounded regularly by things that are unjust, by things that are unrighteous, things that draw our attention away from God. And what Paul is saying, he's like, no, 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 I know that. I get it. You live in a world and you're bombarded with earthly things, a phrase he uses just a few passages early. I know that. And I'm challenging you, imploring you to reorient where you fix your mind. Oh, I'm a work in progress here, guys. And I think many of us would agree that we struggle here. We struggle here. Partly, I know for me I struggle here is because I still get caught up with what's behind, right? Remember he said in chapter 3, to strain towards the goal that's ahead, to not look behind. But I still find myself... Looking behind, remembering days of past of, of who I once was, and, and I get caught up in that. And I allow my mind to be reoriented around something that it should not be oriented around. We are called to give careful attention and to reflect on what God declares as just and righteous His law, His word, His Son. 
what is good in this world. And that's important for us to wrestle with a little bit. Because I think often we, we might read passages like this and we think we need, to, we need to run and flee the world. But no, that's not what, what Paul is getting at here. He's, he's saying, no, they're, they're, you are in a world and, and there are things about creation that for no, no doubt, they're, they're no good, right? Like we have, we have taken creation and we have, we have marred it to, to unbelievable extents, right? But, Paul's, but Paul doesn't think everything about the world he's in is bad, He's like, no, sift it through what is good. Filter it through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of the gospel. Take what is good, reject what is evil. We always need to reject what is evil. We're going to get there in just a second. When it comes to this particular passage, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of what's going on in the news right now. With all this Roe v. Wade stuff, as followers of Jesus... We need to give careful attention to how we can come alongside these innocent lives who are being debated over and even protested over. The church has been a beacon of life since the days when Romans would leave unwanted babies on trash heaps to die and Christians would rescue them. From our earliest writings, even outside of the New Testament, in what is called the Didache, the Christian tradition always opposed abortion. It is inherently Christian to fight for the lives of image bearers. We need to believe a better story. We need to believe a better story. What happened in Buffalo yesterday is the product of someone believing the wrong story. And so many, even in the church, and this is where we need to wrestle, we're believing the wrong story. We're believing a story that is, is part of the air that we're breathing. I talked about this just a few weeks ago where we are molded and shaped by the world around us, whether we like it or not. That's why Paul is saying you need to be intentional. Over the summer, we're going to look at, at something called the spiritual disciplines. And we're just going to dip our toe into that this summer. We're going to talk about what it means to be intentionally formed by God. And it requires work. It requires intentionality. It requires faith to go against the grain of where society is pulling us to where the world and its system is pulling us. It requires all of us to do it with one another, to shoulder one another's burdens, to hold one another accountable, to check in on each other. But there's more. The faithful body of Christ has always been marked by righteousness and justice. In James 1.27, it says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, to be a citizen of heaven is to bring what is heavenly down to earth and not what is earthly into what is heavenly. That's what we're called to. We're called to reflect the goodness of God into this world, to show the world what God is like. It starts up here. Paul talks about the mind regularly. Even in this book, he talks about the mind regularly. In Romans chapter 12, he talks about the renewal of the mind. And here he's giving us a path of wisdom as to how that will take place. He says whatever is pure, this is another religious term. Another way to understand this is whatever is holy. Give careful attention to the gospel. Study the scriptures. 
Read theology, study church history, reflect on the things that bring honor to God. Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Here he's shifting into some language that is unfamiliar to the New Testament. This word lovely shows up in the book of Esther. In fact, it's one of the only appearances in the Greek Old Testament. It describes Esther's physical appearance. In other words, this term is used to describe beauty. It's an aesthetic term. These are things that bring us joy, pleasure, delight. This could be a delicious meal. That's what he's getting at here, right? We need to remember, Paul's not just up here. Paul understands that we live in a world that's tangible. So it could be that delicious meal that, that you're thinking about, a beautiful piece of music, a painting, visiting an art museum, just walking around and looking at the beauty that surrounds you. Things like poetry or a great book. For some of us, it might be a walk through nature or watching a sunset or a sunrise. Maybe it's a really good cup of coffee. Maybe it's watching a sporting event. Rangers are in game seven tonight. What brings you delight and pleasure? These are the things that we should give careful attention to, to think of, to meditate on. But here, in everything in this list, we need to remember that pleasure and delight, even issues of justice and what is considered righteous, must always be filtered through the standard of the scriptures and through the gospel. This is why these last two categories come into play. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, these are words that were associated with the language of Greek moral and ethical teaching, which Paul is borrowing, and he's filling them with what is distinctly Christian. In the words of one commentator, what he intends is that this list of virtues, the list that we just went through, is to be filled with Christian content, exemplified by his own life and teaching, which he is about to get into in verse 9. So what that means is that we don't simply dig a hole and bury ourselves from everything we come across in this world, but rather we approach things like the marketplace, the arts, the media, education, and we look for what is true, uplifting, and admirable, but we do so with a discriminating eye and heart for which the crucified one serves as a template. Everything gets filtered through the person and work of King Jesus. That's what's going on here. And that takes intentionality. That takes the community of faith. That takes conversations. That takes wrestling. It means sitting down with your spouse and having a conversation over like, yeah, this show, I really enjoy watching it. Is it serving us best? And I'm, I'm like nervous talking about this because I know some of the TV I watch. Like I, I love mafia movies and like, I'm like, ugh. But we got we to wrestle with this stuff. That's what Paul's getting at. It's like wrestle, engage this. We need to push one another. We need to challenge one another. What I think is important as we go through that list is we do not get to determine, we do not get to determine what fills these categories without the filter of what is objectively good and true. We don't get to do that. That's, that's God's job. 
We need to, we need to, measure, we need to measure everything we do up against him. That's important. That's really important. And that's hard. And that takes intentionality. He moves on a little bit in verse 9. He says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen, practice these things. What Paul is getting at with this entire list is that there is specific content that the Philippians have been taught. Namely, the gospel of Jesus. They have been taught about the selfless love of Christ, the one who, because he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited for his own gain, but he made himself a slave. He took on the form of human flesh, and he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. The point of the entire letter is that master story found in chapter 2. That's the point. And everything we do, everything we meditate on, everything we reflect on and mull over needs to be filtered through the lens of Philippians chapter 2. Whether we're studying the book of Philippians or not, it needs to be filtered through that passage. That is Paul's master story. It shows up throughout the letter, and truth be told, it shows up throughout all of his writing, and it shows up in the life of Christ as you read the Gospels. The picture of Christ, the humility of the truly human one who entered into creation is the pattern by which we are to model our lives after. That's what it is. And so everything gets sifted through that. And not only were we taught those things, and, and I actually really loved it, this whole learning and receiving it's, it's the language of, of, of receiving the tradition of the, of, of the apostles. It's, it's this passing along, and, and it's been passed along for 2,000 years, and, and, and we're in the process of passing it along to one another, and we're going to pass it along to our children. This, this great tradition that we have been folded into by God's grace, we pass it along, we pass it along, and it's received by faith. And so not only were they taught certain things, but... But they heard and, and seen it modeled before in Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. And the things that were learned and seen and modeled, Paul says, practice these things. Live thusly. Live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Live as a citizen of heaven. Remember who you are. Be intentional about the things you give careful attention to. Take a piece of Neverland with you as you make your way through this earth so that you are reminded daily of your namesake, the name that is above all names. That's what Paul's getting at here. Again, it all circles around our citizenship that is in heaven. It's what this is all coming down to. And then he says, which is such a beautiful, beautiful statement. He says, he says, do these things and the God of peace will be with you. So then and only then will we experience the presence of almighty God. And what he's getting at here, because the presence of God, this is an important theological category that we have to wrap our minds around a bit. 
He's referring to the Holy Spirit here. There's no other possible answer. It has to be the Holy Spirit because that is the presence of God in our lives. That's the presence of God in us individually, and it's the presence of God that resides with us as the church, the Holy Spirit. It's what makes this an earthly temple is the Spirit of God that's, presence, that's, that's present with us. It's why where we go, God goes, because he's with us. That's what's going on. And so he's saying there's a particular way in which you ought to live whereby you can experience the presence of God. And similar to Ephesians, there are certain practices that you need to, to, to engage in whereby you will be filled with the Spirit of God. But, but we know the implicit warning here when we don't practice these things because we've experienced it. We've experienced it individually. We've experienced it corporately. We know when we're far from God. And I don't, I don't need a show of hands, but everyone in this room knows when they are far from God, when we're distracted by earthly things, when our thought life is running us rather than us being in control through the power of the Spirit. For me, I mean, I, I blame it on this. Whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whether I'm scrolling through CNN or Fox News, I like to look at both. I'm super sophisticated. It's all a distraction. All it does is fill my mind with trash, division, fear, uncertainty, and anger. I'm not saying that we retreat from this world. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we engage thoughtfully and we view things through the lens of the crucified and risen Savior. That takes intentionality. That takes work. That takes one another. We've seen it happen in churches. When the mission is no longer about loving God and neighbor and it becomes about someone's ego. Or a group of people decide that the church is no longer meeting their needs. They begin gossiping. It creates disunity. Sundays become painful and difficult. Business meetings are transformed into boxing rings. We've experienced this. We know what that's like. Because we're taking our minds off the things of Christ, off the things of heaven, off the things of the kingdom. We're forgetting the pattern of humility laid out in Philippians chapter 2. Imagine if we all embodied Philippians chapter 2. I mean, imagine that. Imagine if we truly possessed the mind of Christ regularly. And that's what Paul's trying to instill in us. That's what he's pushing us towards. He's giving us a path of wisdom to walk. I mean, how, how great is that? It's like, it's actually not that complicated, although difficult, but it's not complicated. Worship God. Submit to one another. Think about things that are beautiful. Think about things that are true and pure and holy. Think about things that are worthy of praise. And then do them. And then do them. And I tell you what's going to happen. God's going to be with you. Oh, that's cool, but I'm going to go watch this Netflix show. That's what we do. I'm not saying all of Netflix is bad. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm saying we need to challenge ourselves to reorient our minds around the person and work of Jesus and to view everything through that lens. 
And for some of us, myself included, it might mean making tough decisions about what we choose to engage our lives in. There is a challenge in here. I don't want us to walk away and just think like, oh, cool, well, then I guess I can just keep on doing the same thing as long as I stick Jesus on it. Like, no, that's not what I'm saying. Paul is challenging us to rethink how we live. He is. And I know that makes us uncomfortable because most of us like the way we live or else we wouldn't be living that way. We enjoy what we do. But God's pushing us. He's pushing us. He's challenging us. He's placing something that is so beautiful in front of us. And he's saying, I I want you to have this. Here's how you get there. Here's how you get there. What I find amazing is that Paul is writing from prison. Struck with this every time. He has no idea what the outcome is. If he's going to live or die. And where is his mind? What is he focused on? What is he giving careful attention to? The well-being of his brothers and sisters in Philippi. And maybe that's the ultimate point here. That we need to shift our gaze from ourselves and all of the things that make us angry, bitter, frustrated, and put them on the person and work of Christ. Because ultimately, it is he who is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable. And everything else that fills those categories are to redirect our gaze toward him. This is not done by accident. We don't stumble into this. This is intentional on our parts. And so as we close, what I want to challenge us all in is to consider how we might put into practice what we were confronted with today. Truth be told, this was an extremely convicting passage. I'm preaching to you about where I want to be, not from where I am. I'm standing at the base of the mountain of God with all of you, gazing up at what I know will bring us life both individually and together as a church. And I want to go there, and I want us all to go there. I want to experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. I want to be a church that shows the world what God is like. I want us to all practice the things we've learned throughout this series. I want us to fight the temptation to forget I want the God of peace to be with me, to be with us. I want to experience the the spirit-filled life, the abundant life. We've tasted it. I've tasted it. But I want to live there. And I know we all want to live there. That takes work. Through the power of the spirit, it takes work. It takes that path of wisdom to walk step by step in faith, entrusting ourselves to Christ, entrusting ourselves to what we've received, what we've been taught, what we've seen modeled, not only in Christ, not only in Paul, not only in Timothy and Epaphroditus, but the lists that I I gave us throughout the last couple of weeks of people in this room, of looking to them, being challenged by their lives, by their spiritual formation 
Because that's what this is, right? This is all about spiritual formation. I heard one pastor say that, that spiritual formation is something that happens regardless. It just happens. And, and I said it earlier. It's either happening intentionally or passively. We're either intentionally moving towards God and being formed by him spiritually or we're allowing whatever we're surrounded with, whatever we're breathing in, whatever we're scrolling through on the internet to form us. But either way, we are being spiritually formed because the reality is, is there is a spiritual realm that exists where God resides and where the powers and authorities reside. And we're either being formed by one or the other. And it's not like a yin and yang thing where they're like equal powers. That's not what I'm getting at. No, no, God is sovereign over all things. But there are powers and authorities, evil, that we allow ourselves to be formed formed by. And God's saying, you don't have to do that. In fact, I've given you a clear path to walk on. And for those of you who might be be here, and you're not really sure what I'm talking about, What I'm getting at is the abundant life found in Christ. The one who laid his life down for our sins. Who offers forgiveness and eternal life to all who repent and believe in the good news of the cross and the resurrection. I'm talking about giving your life to the one who is able to make sense of the chaos and offers hope in the midst of it all. If that's your desire, please, please come talk to me before you leave here today. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Paul is challenging us, challenging me, to fix our eyes on him. And he promises to be with us through it all. That's good news. That's good news. Let's pray. Father in heaven, We love you, we really do, and we believe, but Lord, help our unbelief, because there's so much of it, and we're inundated with it regularly. Give us eyes to see, Lord, and ears to hear, so that we might walk as citizens of heaven. Lord, that's my prayer for us as a church. That's my prayer for us individually. We do love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you that your son Jesus is ruling over all creation, seated at your right hand, king of kings and lord of lords, Lord God. We thank you for that. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.